Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Vince DiMartino, I'd like to welcome you to the Studio HFL podcast this morning. Great to be here. Always and, with you, Larry. Well, thanks very much. And uh, anytime I get to sit and chat with you is always a learning experience. <laughs> uh, even even if you don't pick up the trumpet, it's it's always uh. terrific. So I want to start. Um, of course, hopefully, listeners are going to know already quite a bit about you. And if they don't, they're going to learn quite a bit about you today. Mm-hmm. I'd like to start with uh, where you are right now, what you're doing. Um, what people call you for, because I know you don't have a full-time teaching position at the moment, That's right. but tell us what's going on right now. Well, I taught for 40 years, you know, full-time at two universities, University of Kentucky and Center College. Loved every minute of it. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to spend a little bit more time doing, like, research, basically. Uh, thinking about, uh, right now I'm involved in a lot of old instrument uh, performance and uh, uh, restoration and other things and uh, touring with John Foster a lot uh, with Sound the Trumpet Sound the Trumpets and getting ready to go to Australia in about a month is that to put that program together uh, some, of some of it will be that some of it will be that but some of it is also uh, it's called the Australian uh, Australasian Trumpet Academy and oh. we go out into the outback uh, a, a few hours away from Brisbane mm-hmm. and we do trumpet, and Gabriele Cassoni and uh, other guests are going to be there, as well as uh, usually about 25 to 30 students. And we do any, don't do anything but trumpet um, with a small group, and mm-hmm. everything from Baroque trumpet to contemporary trumpet. Wow. To, yeah, and we talk about techniques as well as the musical part of it. And then we go on tour with the Sound of Trumpets, and I'll be touring with two brass quintets this year. And, uh, wow. Who, which two? Uh, the Quintessonic Brass, mm-hmm. which is a new group uh, made up of some people from both Tennessee, Kentucky, and Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the Millennium Brass is still going. This will be our 17th year, 18th wow. year. And uh, we'll be doing a few concerts with that group in Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to both of those tours as well. As well as doing what I normally do, which is go out maybe one or two weekends a month 
and play with different colleges, mostly university groups mm -hmm. and community groups and professional orchestras, playing solos and stuff, mm -hmm. and practicing a lot. And practicing a lot. <laughs> Even now, after all these years where you, you, you know, a lot of people would think, geez, Vinny, you've mastered everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's what I found even in, in interviews I've already, already done is like, we're never done. No, you're never done. That's the great part. That is really the great part about a profession, any kind of artistic profession or any kind of profession, you know, whatever you do. Um, you're never done. You're always a lifetime learner. You know, if you're if you're a plumber, you find new ways to do the same thing and say, I wish I would have known that twenty years ago. <laughs> you know, I wish I would have known this and in air aircraft design, I wish we would have known this. Mm -hmm. And in trumpet design, mm -hmm. you know, uh, boy, if we'd done that, that would have really sped up the process of making this instrument that much better. Mm -hmm. And playing wise, same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I I've been doing a lot of, you know, like kind of research i guess you'd call it mm -hmm. uh practicing every day finding new ways to warm up and especially in the golden age of trumpet <laughs> when you've been playing more than 50 years um you start to you know want to figure out even easier ways to play sure that you go boy i wish i would have known this when i was 25 <laughs> and it's so true you know and technique wise you know we're i'm finding out like gee you know your, your technique isn't really that even as you thought it was and, you know, things like that that uh, come up and you, you're challenged every day. And you feel good because, uh, just like anything, you don't really, you don't find the cure for cancer, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. every day. Right. But you're on the search. On the search. And you're always, you're always finding out little things that are bringing you closer to, hopefully, uh, fruition. Mm -hmm. But they're always uh, engaging you in a, in a way that enables you to think more clearly and come up with different results. You know, you say, gosh, I wish I had known that 20 years ago. Yeah. But, you know, if you think about that journey through that 20 years, there's some experiences that you'd probably say, boy, I was really glad that I did have that experience. Oh, yeah. Because all of that can be valuable, I think, in your teaching. Yeah. Because you're going to have a student come along who might not be at that stage, who's ready for, you know, certain revelations at certain times. I think, I think as a musician and a teacher, if you shy away from things because you don't think you're either good enough or you, you don't think you feel comfortable in that situation or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you might be losing a great opportunity for yourself. Hmm. You know, I, I know people, I mean, I saw Phil Smith. We were on a stage with Doc Severinsen mm -hmm. and the Army Blues Jazz Band at the NTC, I don't know how many years ago, and Doc says, yeah, we're going to play Amazing Grace, and we're going to do it as a, uh, a New Orleans-style piece. And Phil, you need to take a couple of chords. Phil's going, oh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think. And I, and I said, Phil, I said, what do you got to lose? Man, you, you're, you're one of the greatest trumpet players in the world. All you have to do is stand up there, and you're going to sound great. Mm -hmm. goes, oh, I don't know. And, and, he, and Phil got right out there and did it. And I was just, and I was so, I'm going, wow, this guy's really, he's lear a learner. Wow. What a great person. What a, mm -hmm. not afraid, mm -hmm. fearless. Mm -hmm. And he went, come off and he said, you know, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, like that was, yeah. he, it was a revelation for him. Yeah. And, and I think that's the kind of thing you want to do. I mean, 
you have to be Phil Smith to get out there with Doc and stuff and do that. But at the same time, you know, it was it was a challenge for him yeah. to do that. And and I had tremendous respect for anybody who will do anything. That that includes just going up and playing the hymns in church mm-hmm. as a young person. So you know, don't don't uh, get in the habit of turning things down. If you have any bit of curiosity about them at all, mm-hmm. yeah, get out there and do it. I, I mean, that's the only reason that I can do. I guess I was. Uh, naive enough to think I could do some of those things even when I couldn't. And I think that's a really good place to be. And of course, get with people that can do the things that you're thinking about doing. They'll give you good insights into it. So there's a lot less chance of failure. Sure. You know, and, and you'll you'll get a better experience and you'll maybe decide that's well that's the area I really want to be involved in. Mm. A lot of people are who are classical musicians in the past have been taking jazz lessons and, you know, Getting, getting with some friends, making jazz. Look at uh, one of the earliest people that did that was uh, uh, Tom Stevens. Tom Stevens did a whole little jazz record. Mm-hmm. And it's, boy, it's darn good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he basically started the contemporary music uh, generation, so to speak, mm-hmm. with his record, the contemporary trumpet. Mm-hmm. And he, he certainly got me interested in it. Mm-hmm. I heard that recording of all these pieces I didn't know at all. I'm going... Oh my gosh, isn't this fantastic? I ought to get interested in that a little bit, because mm-hmm. of course he's such a great musician. Well, yeah, such you can hear that music. You go, well, gosh, if I could be that musical on any, mm-hmm. I'm going to learn to do that, and I still play some of those pieces. Mm. Not you know not the really hard ones, but I <laughs> but I play the ones uh, sure. you know that I'm I'm still capable of playing, right. and and I think that that's part of of this this process. You know, if I'd have known that, well. If I'd have taken the time to learn that, if I had taken time enough mm-hmm. to, to spend some time with it, I probably would have learned a little more. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I, we all are, are usually not as uh, comprehensive in our starting uh, as, as some people are who are sure. lucky to have uh, exposure sure. to that type of teacher. Well, let's, yeah. let's head that direction for just a second. Let's, mm-hmm. let's travel back a few years and... Yeah. to when you first picked up the trumpet or decided that that <laughs> trumpet was going to be yeah. your means of expression, even if you didn't think about it no. that way at that at that time. Mm-hmm. How did you get into it? Who influenced you? My high school band director, my music program in my public school. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I stayed, I, I was in the choir first. And I think everybody should spend some time singing. It's, it's really, uh, it helps you to develop a sense of pitch, mm-hmm. which is needed to play any instrument. Uh, well, and it's our natural instrument. To yeah, it's the natural instrument, and you learn to how to put uh, sounds together in a way that are expressive and emotional, mm-hmm. and and that's I think that's important. And I sang uh, my one of my worst days of my life was when I became an alto. <laughs> I was a boy soprano. No kidding. And all of a sudden one day I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, Mom, I I can't sing those notes anymore. And she started laughing, you know, <laughs> and and it was great and. But I, but I became an alto, and I sang a few more years in the choir, and then by then I'd already started trumpet. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really great in the, in the elementary school. Mm-hmm. Early influences on trumpet, both uh, people that you knew mm-hmm. around you physically and then by recording or live My high school band director. Oh, he was yeah. a fine trumpet player, and, and uh, he really was influential. Even though I only took few private lessons, mm-hmm. he was there for me all the time. Mm-hmm. I might as well have been taking private lessons every day mm-hmm. because he he was there always showing me things that I couldn't do and that was his way of teaching me because he knew that I was one of these people mm-hmm. 
that you know if you threw a baseball and I, I wanted to learn to do that too mm -hmm. so so he, he figured that out and he always would uh, when I when I thought I was sounding pretty good he'd uh, turn a few more pages in the Arben book and say here let's hear you play this <laughs> and I'd sound of course horrible and he'd go boy that that doesn't sound very good and then he would just leave Wow and he understood that I was going to sit there mm -hmm. and figure it out mm -hmm. every time I came back to the mm -hmm. trumpet. I, that was the first thing I was going to do. Mm -hmm. So I had kind of a crazy way of learning, but he was very helpful. Thinking about that, of course, you know, we all have different learning styles. You've got the mm -hmm. people who need to have it modeled for them. You've mm -hmm. got people who uh, need to have the whole anatomy, physiology thing explained. Yeah. Um, you know, that particular mode of teaching where he left the room and left you to mm -hmm. your own motivation, um, have you adapted that in your own teaching through the years? Do you recall students where I think, they, they had that same response? Well, I think the people that studied with me and other people, there's so many wonderful teachers, um, play a lot. A lot of people do play a lot in their lessons. And one of the things is that a lot of younger students, even though today we have YouTube and lots of assistants, uh, some of them don't take as much advantage of it as they should. I know I do. I go on, listen All to things. Time. You know, yeah. I, you know, I just want to hear what a piece sounds like, or I want to hear how a certain person plays this piece, and uh, maybe maybe learn more about the compositional style of a. Mm -hmm. It's good to listen to recordings of great playing, and and uh, I think I think my band director. Uh, provided that for me mm -hmm. and also I listened a lot to music mm -hmm. there's no substitute for it also another thing was my one of my neighbors was a bass player he was actually a an aeronautics engineer and uh, he worked at uh, Grumman Aerospace and rocket but he played science. bass <laughs> yeah rocket science basically uh, and I'm surprised in our little neighborhood that had these little tiny houses you know that were uh, post-World War II mm -hmm. bungalows, you know. <laughs> he, he worked for there, and he was a great, but he was a really fine bass player. Mm -hmm. And my dad asked him, you know, some recordings that he might get for me because I was starting trumpet. And he got me a Maynard Ferguson record, a Raphael Mendez record, a Billy Butterfield record. Most people don't know him. He actually went to Transylvania University in mm -hmm. Kentucky, which I'd never known until I got here. <laughs> and then uh, also a... Uh, Miles Davis record and a Stan Kent record because I guess eventually there were five. Wow, that's really diverse. Yeah, and so I put those on every day, and just keep turning them over, <laughs> and listen to those five records. And and of course I tried to sound like that mm -hmm. because I said, "Wow, that sounds awful good. I want to sound like that." Mm -hmm. So I had models, mm -hmm. and of course I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't play all that stuff. I said, "Gosh, I you know I can't even play." Half the notes that this guy's playing. Well, I remember you telling me not too long ago that yeah. uh, you didn't know about double tonguing. And so no. listening to Raphael, you just, that's how you learned to develop a really fast single tongue. Yeah, I sing on that. And then my band director, of course, showed me double tonguing. And mm -hmm. I, I said, oh, yeah. And then I realized years later, because I'm not the brightest light on the block, <laughs> I realized that double tonguing was single tonguing twice as fast. So the T is always in exactly the same place. Right? So the T is always uh, in fractional value of where the T is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And and the, see, so it, it really makes it easier to, easier to teach double tonguing now for me mm -hmm. and single tonguing and everything. 
And so, so you know, I think if you're on the case every day, all this stuff starts to, you know, the inverted pyramid where you start to gain more and more information in an objective way. If you if you become too subjective and too uh, narrow, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times uh, movement is a little slower. I think when you hear something that's intriguing, uh, it's good to kind of wonder what that is. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they do that. Lean in a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. just just you know, no matter how bad it sounds, try to come up with something that'll mm -hmm. that'll work. And eventually, you know, as, as most people uh, agree to. Uh, if something sounds good, it's probably pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know. So off of those albums, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. they were trumpet players yeah. on those albums. Mm -hmm. But were there other things that caught your ear while you're listening to that? Yeah. Well, well, yeah. The the the, uh, the context. I think context is is really the most important part of music, anyway. If unless you're playing solo trumpet, mm -hmm. you know, which we don't do very often. We don't play alone without a pianist or without an orchestra band or jazz band or, mm -hmm. you know, so. I think what I learned the most was context. Just listening to groups and seeing how the trumpet fit in with them, what kind of sounds it made with that particular group, mm -hmm. and then the next particular group, etc. Listening to recordings, rock and roll recordings, mm -hmm. hearing background horns playing. I did that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, playing in a, in a band. <coughs> I played in my, my high school band, mm -hmm. of course, and uh, I sang in the choir and, and in high school a bit. Because my choir teacher said, we, I was in theory class, she says, you know, I could use some tenors uh, for for my uh, choir. Would you like to sing in the choir? I said, nah. She says, do you want to pass theory? I said, oh, I'd love to sing in your choir. <laughs> and so I went back to singing in choirs after I hadn't been doing it in junior high school. I did it in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Then when I got like to be a junior, I think it was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I got back in choir because she needed singers. She was great. Mm -hmm. Her theory class made the Eastman theory class look like a easy wow we had four-part dictation every day in high school and she'd say okay Vince and uh, to the class mm -hmm. I'm going to play this three times and I said wait a minute I said uh, there's four parts she goes you'll have to listen very carefully won't you here we go <laughs> she started playing the piano I mean that was it all of us there was four of us all of whom became Either teachers or professional musicians. Mm. Uh, one of them's in Broadway still. He, he contracts all the woodwinds and a lot of shows mm -hmm. and plays. He can play with Woody Herman, and uh, then myself. You know, mostly teaching and performing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the guy who eventually became the high school band director uh, was in that same class. And the other fellows. Dad was a Cadillac dealer, but he was a great musician and he played the accordion. Believe it or not. And he was just remarkable and tuba, mm -hmm. tuba and accordion. And he was a great musician. I, you know, I've lost track of him, but in mm -hmm. many, every year, well, some of the, out of our high school, Glenn Drews, who's one of the top trumpet players in New York City, he went to my high school. Uh, Dennis Wilson, who led the Camp AC Orchestra for a while, teaches at Michigan, mm -hmm. he went to my high school. And quite a few others. So there was, you know, a history working with our band director. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know we were just we we're just lucky mm -hmm. to have a band director, and also the assistant band director was Barry Titone. He taught in the uh, elementary schools and stuff, mm -hmm. and his brother was the manager for Lionel Hampton's band. So that's how I got hooked up originally with Lionel Hampton. What's he came the out to my school early on. Yeah, 
But, so mm -hmm. did, did your did your band director, uh, you know, uh, you're ready to go to college now. Yeah. Had you ideas of where you'd like to go? I mean, Eastman's not too yeah. far away. But, but I didn't know about you? Eastman until my guidance counselor, believe it or not, my guidance counselor mm -hmm. gave me great guidance. Um, and uh, <laughs> she went, she was from Rochester, New York, Mrs. Burles. And one day she said, you know, you're a really great trumpet player. And, you know, she heard me in concerts in the school and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, there's a really great music school up in Rochester. And I think you should go visit that. And I never heard of Eastman School of Music, you know. And so I applied to Michigan. And Who I got, was teaching there at the time? At Michigan? Mm -hmm. Cliff Lilly, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I got rejected from Michigan. I did. Wow. And because they said they weren't, they weren't taking as many out-of-state residents. But I didn't. I don't think I really played that well, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, and I applied. Well, I applied for Eastman too, and Fredonia, and a bunch of other upstate New York schools. You know, that were affordable. Who was teaching at Eastman at the time? Sid Meier, mm -hmm. and uh, he was just great for me. And so it was funny because my school was a wonderful school, wonderful high school, and I didn't really have any money, you know. And so they said, "Well, if you want to." you know, audition for Eastman, we'll fly you up to Rochester. So my high school wow. paid for me to fly. That's unheard of. Yeah, yeah. That was only the second time I'd ever been in a plane, too. <laughs> so I flew I flew, I flew, flew up to Eastman, and uh, as soon as I sat in the main hall and talked to a few people and roamed around the practice rooms, I said, you know, I think this is a place for me. Mm. If I go here... I'm going to be one of the least experienced trumpet players at this school. And that's what I need. See, that could be an intimidating thing. Uh, somebody could show up there and think, there's no way I'm going to succeed here. But you're looking at this as an opportunity yeah. to grow and, and, and change. Learn and change. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I met Ross Beecraft, who's actually the director of admissions now at DePaul University, where Gabriel actually got his, his uh, undergraduate mm -hmm. degree, mm -hmm. studied with John Hagstrom. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I met Charlie Decker, who taught at Tennessee Tech in Cookville for many, many years. And I think I learned as much from Charlie as I learned from everybody at Eastman altogether. He was a couple of years older than me. Mm -hmm. And he just retired from Tennessee Tech a couple of years back. And as soon as I met those two, I was going, wow, these are the kind of people I want to hang out with. Mm. They know so much and I know so little. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't really know any solos. I didn't know any literature of any type, any orchestra literature, I knew nothing. I just could play the trumpet a little bit. And somehow I got accepted there. And uh, I took out loans and went to school and it was worth it. I mean, what was your improv like at that at that stage? Oh, uh, it was, well, I mean, I practiced a lot. So I, I sort of made up solos. I never played the same solos, but I did improvise. And I played gigs since I was 14. So I guess I was okay, you know, because I started by ear. I couldn't read music at all. I couldn't understand why there were three beats in a beat in 6-8 time in a march. I couldn't. I just could never get that for until I got through almost to the end of junior high school. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then I started to really... I mean, I started to work in junior high school. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when I went to Eastman, I just had so many things to learn, and I, I just hung out with all these people. You know, I had people like Phil Collins were there. Marvin Perry, Chappie mm -hmm. Perry from Indianapolis, mm 
Okay, uh, Paul Rathke, who eventually came and got his doctorate with me at UK, mm-hmm. who was a close friend. And, I mean, all kinds of other trumpet players. Jeff Tyzik, mm-hmm. Al Vizzuti, eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, Chuck was, Mangione was there, too. Chuck, was the, he was the jazz band director for a while. Mm-hmm. So there were all these people. Plus, there were wonderful people in Rochester. Joe Para, who has a, a thing called the Trumpet Shop up in Webster, New York. He was the... Worked for Xerox. He was a lot like Peter Pickett. Mm. He worked for the uh, mm-hmm. a company that built computers mm-hmm. and, and printers and things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know that he was on the original Xerox design team, but wow, he was just a trumpet <laughs> player to me. You know, Th- thinking to uh, your lessons mm-hmm. there and. Any particular methods or styles, books that uh, that uh, Mr. Was, was pushing your way? <laughs> well, Mr. Muir was he was very tolerant of me because because basically you know I was such I was a really excited young trumpet player like all of us, and I had no methodology, no teaching techniques really other than what my band director showed me, which was still a fair amount, but and uh, he would just humor me for about half a lesson let me try to play pieces I couldn't play and do things I couldn't do and then he'd take out the Schlossberg book and the Soxa book and all the books that I still use and uh, he'd say well let's try a little bit of this and he'd show me, start over here and uh, you know of course I'd he'd show me things I couldn't do just like my high school band director did and I said well that's not going to do so I'd go practice and I still Go to the library and see. You know, recordings became like with my four or five records that I had mm-hmm. became an important part of what I did. Besides mm-hmm. my live listening and my uh, concert playing with little jazz groups and you know country club groups and everything else, I could play rock bands, Dixieland bands. Um, I'd go to the Eastman Library. And I started at A. Maurice Andre was one of the first ones. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> and I went from A to Z in the card catalog. One of those things, you know, you used to I remember through. those. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I listened to recordings of every person. Now I'd say, oh, man, that's a great piece. Of course, I really couldn't, shouldn't even been trying to play some of those pieces. But I'd bring them into my lesson and say, Mr. Mirror, look what I found in the library. I heard so-and-so played. He goes, oh, well, you know, he'd be kind of laughing. And uh, he'd listen to me play a movement of it or two. And he was great because he showed me what those pieces should sound like. So I think he realized how lacking I was in the background. So he let me play a page or two of each of these solos. I never really, you know, except for my juries, I never really covered all of them. Mm-hmm. But... And he would show me, this is, a, you know, the French pieces sound like this. And do you remember when you heard so-and-so play it? I go, oh, yeah, yeah. So then I had an idea of what a French piece sounded like. Mm-hmm. And as I went on through the years, you know, I think my, my favorite lessons, though, were when I went back to get my master's. After I've been teaching at UK without a master's for like five, four or five years. Again, unheard of in a major university. Unheard of anymore, you know. And uh, I agreed to go back to get my master's. I said, yeah, well, I should do that. Well, I went back, and after teaching for four or five years, man, that was the best thing I, I could have done. Because when I went back, man, I was even full of more enthusiasm to learn more literature. And actually, I was actually shown to play a piece for Mr. Muir. I'd bring 
same routine. I'd bring in a piece, and I'd say, Mr. Mirror. And he'd go, well, you know, I don't know that piece. And i go, oh, really? I said, so sort of, I was so excited to have something that maybe he didn't know. And that happens to us all. I mean, I, I run across, when I go to NTC and any kind of thing anymore, I say, well, I don't know that piece. And I might know two-thirds of the pieces, but I don't know all of them. You can't possibly learn them all today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm still learning a fair amount of pieces. And I think that's really a good thing uh, for young teachers, too. A lot of students only know eight movements of eight pieces for their juries and have heard some of their friends play others mm-hmm. and a few etude books, and that's it. And, gee, you know, that's just not enough. It's not enough breadth. And so the, the listening aspect, whether it's on YouTube, traditional listening, just of sound recordings, going to concerts and hearing people and feeling what it's like to, to do that live. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. This past May, at the ITG conference in San Antonio, Phil Smith was part of of one of the groups that came out to play, and I was sitting right in front of his bell. Now, I hate to admit this, but it's the first time I'd ever heard him live. And he was playing third trumpet, it was a trumpet trio, him, David Hickman, and... uh, uh, the guy from the Boston Brass. Uh, uh, Jose? Yes. Uh, Sabaha. And uh, it didn't matter that he wasn't playing, you know, Mahler or pictures or anything. But I I thought all those recordings that I had ever heard of him, Unanswered Question was the first record, recording. Oh, boy. And just, you know, that gorgeous, Tough pure piece, sound. too. <laughs> and, and it struck me, first of all, okay, this is why he's Phil Smith, you know, and, yeah. and revered. Uh, player that he is and but that live experience even with him playing third trumpet here just completely changed it's in your head things forever for me now yeah and I'm so grateful for that you know and, and me for me I've been fortunate now that I'm 70 uh, to have played with a lot of these people and to gain that type of experience on a regular basis mm-hmm. I mean, when I go to a conference, I'm usually playing something like that or, you know, with somebody else. Or I go, I go to as many programs as I can. I hate rehearsals because I miss, I miss people playing. You know, I, I'm going, oh, man, can we do this rehearsal some other time? I said, you know, Ronnie Rom's doing a thing with his wife. I really want to be there, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so, but it's, a, you know, it's kind of a joke almost because you can't possibly see sure. half the stuff that's going on. But... But I think the, the, the live performance experience, I mean, I can remember looking up at the town band. Actually, it was, it was the, uh, I believe the, the uh, Pennsylvania, it was a famous town band in Pennsylvania, either the Reading Band or one of those bands mm-hmm. in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, where my relatives lived, looking up at the cornet trio mm-hmm. and saying, boy, I want to I do that someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and hearing people play live. My very first concert, I was 12, okay? It was at the Long Island Arena Coliseum, I think it was called, mm-hmm. where the Ducks were the, I think they're called the Long Island Ducks or the the, 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 the hockey team. Okay, yeah, I don't know. And the concert was Dave Brubeck, Maynard Ferguson, <laughs> and Louis Armstrong. On the same bill? Yeah. And I met both <laughs> Maynard Ferguson and Louis Armstrong that night. 
I stood outside their dressing rooms until somebody allowed me to meet them. And I still remember that like it was yesterday. And I remember what it sounded like. I remember what it looked like. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, that's... I talked to people today and they said, you met Louis Armstrong? I said, yeah. I said, you know, that was, that was in um, 1960. And I, and I used to drive out to the Jones Beach Marine Theater, which was out on the water on South Shore Long Island. It was on this little strip island. And they had a theater there. Mm -hmm. And I would drive there at night sometimes. It was about a 20-minute drive, just in time to catch him do his vignette in Hello, Dolly, live. Mm -hmm. It was only a year or two before he died. Mm -hmm. And they would drive him there in a limousine from Brooklyn. Corona, I think it was, and he'd get out, go in, and all of a sudden, within 10 minutes, you heard, hello, Dolly, <laughs> and he heard him play a little bit. As soon as it was done, he's back in the limo and back to, he, he only spent about an hour on the road, mm -hmm. but, I mean, I could still hear it, because I came over, I couldn't go in, I didn't have the money to go in every night. So I would just sit out there, and the speakers were so loud, you know, because it was an outdoor theater. I could hear Louis Armstrong every night live. Wow. So it was great. Not every night, but, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, you know, I think that that live experience is, uh, I go to Interlochen in the summer, and I hear the students that I teach play, and some of them are awful remarkable, you know, in so many ways. And also the guest artists and the faculty. Mm -hmm. and I get to play with them, John Ailey. You know, Rex Richardson's been there as a guest, Ryan Anthony, mm -hmm. Ronnie Rahm, uh, you know, we, we just over, there's so many people. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this summer at the UK uh, Trumpet Institute, we had Marie Speziali, and I hadn't seen her since we played together uh, with a symphony, really. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at the Women's Brass Conference, I saw her once. And, you know, being there, yeah, being able to play as an extra with the Cincinnati Orchestra, as a soloist and an extra, over 20 years worth of it. Oh, you were on some fantastic recordings. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky enough to play a lot of cool records. Mm -hmm. And Phil Collins was there, and Steve Pride, and Marie, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and all the others, you know, Charlie Duvall. Mm -hmm. They were all in the orchestra, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, I got to sit next to these people and get an idea of what, what they were doing mm -hmm. and what was different than what I'd ever done in a lot of cases, you know. So, you know, private lessons are absolutely valuable yeah but those experiences were lessons on oh, themselves yeah. oh, right? yeah. well private lessons are great but you're not going to take private lessons for your whole life you have to develop some sort of other way of learning that is not uh, directed well I usually think of them this is I'm teaching my student how to teach themselves right. and and you know you go I go I talk to people all the time about how to play better I mean you know I'm always with somebody I'll say man you know I heard you do this soft what do you do when you do this soft thing you know, so I'm always getting a little checkup, a little tune-up mm -hmm. from people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I can't imagine taking lessons for 50 years or something, you know. And I mean, that, that's kind of a way of life almost then. Mm -hmm. And my my way of life is just, you know, just to perform and mm -hmm. interact and be, a, be an asset to your community mm -hmm. in some way uh, besides just playing the trumpet. You know, the trumpet is part of our life. You... Um I want to talk just a little bit sure. about your time teaching at UK mm -hmm. and Center College, mm -hmm. and you can group those together mm -hmm. if you want. But 
Um, you're taught at the undergrad and graduate level. At UK. And uh, some terrific students that have come through those studios. Yeah. And uh, what was that like, your evolution of teaching from that first time you sat down with a student at UK yeah. to when you retired from Center College? How do you see your <laughs> teaching evolve through that? Well, just like most beginning teachers, I knew nothing. Because until you, I, I mean, I taught some students, you know, and that were in high school when I was at Eastman and, you know, stuff like that on Saturdays to make money so I could eat during the week. And, uh, but, but mainly when you get to, uh, you know, a place where you're responsible for the person's lessons, like at college level, well, you, you get in there and you go, gosh, I hope, I hope I'm teaching them the right stuff. I, I mean, I've really never taken a formal plan of, you know, teaching and, mm -hmm. Some people have, and I guess they felt a lot more comfortable than I did. But I just said, well, I practiced all the time myself, and I just tried to incorporate what I had learned from sitting down and failing, trial and error. Mm -hmm. I tried to eliminate the error part as much as I could, even though you can't. And uh, and then you get them be more catalytic for your for the learning experience. Mm. You know, it's like it's like. Uh, you know, you can talk to somebody about a certain thing, but if they've never if if they've never experienced what a house looks like, you can say, make sure you put windows in it, and they're not going to know what you're talking There's about. There's no context. There's no yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically, all of those things we talked about, uh, the listening, all those things have to be. So you can only be as successful as your engaged self and student, which are one interchangeable, and you know. Uh, I'm still a, a really good student, I think, and and uh, I mean, like the, every day, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I'm I'm on the search, and and yet I'm not so subjective that I'm freaked out by what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That's that's a, that's the thing. That's the thing a teacher helps with. Mm -hmm. I think a good teacher, and I found that out right away. First of all, I found out I knew nothing about what a student could do. Mm. You know, I'd say, well, I don't know, this student, they don't seem like to be into this or. And all of a sudden, three months later, they sound great because they've been practicing. And I just didn't, that wasn't, I just thought I could figure it out without them putting in the effort or something. I don't know. That's what happens when you're 23, when you start, you know, nothing. So so basically, I, I realized, first of all, that I needed to teach everybody at the highest level I could to do the things they needed, especially music ed students. I know that sounds funny. But, no, I agree but, completely. Um, because they're the ones that, train the future musicians and people who are going to be excited about music in the future. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have as much contact anymore with people who are going to be doctors and dentists and you know other professions. Mm -hmm. So uh, teachers are the ones that do, the ones that teach in public schools and in universities as well at this point. Uh, so basically my job is to, is to uh, just get them excited about what they're doing, mm -hmm. not what I want them to do necessarily, but them doing things that are good for themselves mm -hmm. and teaching them a process that is transferable to anything they're going to do in their life. This, this you know, intense learning experience, mm -hmm. whether it's how to work with your kids, <laughs> you know, how to trim the hedges better so you don't have to take two hours in, instead of one hour, mm -hmm. cutting the lawn. You know, building a model car, mm -hmm. uh, carving a piece of wood. Mm -hmm. Any of those things take a great amount of dedication, trial and error, mm -hmm. and 
hopefully great deal of satisfaction in the long run. So I think a lot of the students that I was lucky enough to work with stick, stuck with it and uh, are doing well. Mm -hmm. And and they're teaching me. I mean, I, I call up students all the time and say, hey, Mark. You know, Mark Wood is a, a, a he's the uh, one of the lead trumpet players in the Army Blues. You know, I've been working on this this range thing still. He goes, oh, man, you don't need to work. I said, yes, I do. I said, you know, I heard you doing these lip slurs. They sound like you're not even moving. It's just like old Maynard Ferguson. Mm. I said, you know, we need to talk about this a little bit. <laughs> oh, okay, if you want to. You know, but but I, I, I said, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm going to start working on that. And lo and behold, I've gotten <coughs> a lot better at doing that. I can't do it as long anymore, mm. you know. But you can I'm do it. Seven, but I can do it way better than I used to. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a tremendous thing for any human being to feel a great sense of satisfaction from the trip. Mm -hmm. You know, I still have, you know, issues with lots of stuff, but, you know, nobody can do everything. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, and I keep in touch with all these people that are on the same uh, path, you know. Uh, look at Wiff Rudd and, and uh, Rex Richardson and, uh, you know, John Hagstrom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I could just keep naming people. Well, All how different. About, how about even your own students? How about uh, and and I'm going to speak to the yeah. class because I was fortunate. Yeah, we be one of we had a good time at UK. Yeah. Uh, Al Hood was Al there. Hood. Brad Good. Yeah. Rob Parton. Yeah. Were the three uh, that I see. Uh, well, I don't. I've not seen Brad in in many many years. But, yeah. But Rob and Al. Uh, in yeah. fact, I had Rob come to the conference, my conference, and do a session. Uh, this last year yeah. and you know they they just keep moving forward and creating new things and yeah you know if i look at it now i think boy if they aren't uh, just like you're speaking about this ever growing ever uh engaging uh, approach to music i mean that's that's what i see from them i just watched a, a josh landris little video that he made new york uh, uh fabricator and repair person and res restoration person for instruments mm -hmm. and I just put it put on there how great it was he had transformed over this uh, Shaw disc valve instrument mm -hmm. into something that looked like it just came out of the factory <laughs> took it all apart fixed every little mm. thing and when I got it back it looked like it had just been made and it still looks that way mm -hmm. and and uh, and it plays like a new instrument and when people hear it they go that's 160 years old I'm going <laughs> yep I said and it's just fantastic work you know because the people are constantly moving forward and they apprentice and I think that's part of our job is uh, is to be a, you know a mentor mm -hmm. for people who are looking to follow a, a similar path or to get information about uh, forging a new one mm -hmm. And and then that's that's a really exciting uh, function, as a teacher. So I don't really think I did anything super extraordinary, except be sensitive to the people I was working with, and trying to, at at the ripe age of eighteen, try to get them to feel comfortable with change, which is not easy. That's that's the most challenging part of any teacher's uh, job is to make a, a a student feel comfortable with change and growth. Because we tend to be very reactionary and stay close to what we already know. Because we feel safe in that. Sure. And comfortable sometimes. Or frustrated. Mm -hmm. Or both. And and so so as a teacher, 
uh, that's always my my first uh, job now is to make people feel relaxed and comfortable, uh, give them good information, the best information I can give them, and encourage them to come back as soon as possible. See, to me, you just completed that evolution. You you spoke to this. Uh, you're very hum humble about this, about your inadequacy, in, inadequacy that you felt as a beginning teacher yeah. to the statement that you just made shows, I think, but I, you know, of course I studied with you in mid eighties. I would say that you were, but I still you, knew nothing, no, but, you, but <laughs> you were, you were still, you talk about that sensitivity of the student and, and I felt that maybe mm. not then, but in, in hindsight, absolutely. I mean, it's just, uh, so I think this is why, uh, people revere you as not just a player, <laughs> but, a, but a teacher. And, you know, it might be difficult to hear sometimes, yeah, but it you know, it's, um, but it's true. And, and Well, you just, you know, I think the joy in teaching for me, it it's going to come forever long after I'm gone. Because um, when you finish playing, you're finished. It's over. And the recordings live on, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But when you finish teaching, it goes on for generations and has improved more than you ever thought. You know, well, and and not to by people like Rob Part. Sometimes and, you know the same is true for bad teachers, and unfortunately, those those yeah. styles are perpetuated as well. But. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't I I don't know many bad teachers. Um, I just sometimes it's hard for them to express what they what they're doing. It, it has nothing to do with their their passion for teaching. Mm. Uh, more has to do with their. It, it might be challenging for them to. To tune into what somebody's mm -hmm. doing, mm -hmm. because of other reasons than just the technical part of playing the trumpet. So, you know that's okay, and, and, and it's okay. You know I've had students transfer. I mean, it, you know it's it's not a hundred percent out of your out of your program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I can't say it's a lot, but yeah, and you know, and I and I usually call and say, hey, look, there's this really good person coming. This person, I think they're going to do well with you. Mm. I might even suggest people sometimes to study with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, your whole job as a teacher is to help someone be successful, not to have them be part of your herd <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? It's And, and even though we, we have groups of people that we really feel good about because they are, there's a lot of compatibility there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, you know lots of great studios like the Bill Adams studio I mean how can you that's fantastic mm -hmm. there's a lot of good teaching going on there there's a, a lot of strength in how those people feel about one another oh they are passionate about that yeah and, and look at the students they're they're excited they're to fabulous learn fabulous players and fabulous yeah. players yeah. and a success ratio that equals anything that's ever happened mm -hmm. so you, you you know you have to love that you don't have to think everything that's perfect everything I teach is not perfect mm -hmm. it's hopefully instructional and helping you to move on mm -hmm. and a Bill Adam when I met him I mean I felt that mm -hmm. you know I did a master class with him and I thought I, I don't know I hope I can do this I, I don't think I teach the same way he does and I was going yeah well yeah I, I wish I could said that that way you know, I use a lot of his lead pipe technique now, mm -hmm. a different way, mm -hmm. but it's you know it's helpful. Mm -hmm. If you if you turn off 
any source of information, that's just not a good idea. You can always put it aside and maybe you never use it, but you don't really realize it, but you probably will. Because when that person comes in the door, you're going to draw from that resource library that's up there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have been around a lot of these people. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody like Bill Adam, I, you know, I only met him maybe half a dozen times. But, you know, it's really great. Mm -hmm. You know, and the people that study with him, all, they don't all sound the same. That's, that's, a, mis, that's a misnomer, mm -hmm. you know. They, there's a tremendous difference in every teacher's students. Techniques-wise and how you teach them might be similar. Well, not all of Chickowitz's students. No, no. Or anybody. We could go forever. I mean, could. I could sit here and just soak this up. And, you know... And I love doing this. I mean, this is what I love doing. You know, I, I love to talk and teach trumpet and, and study. You know, I mean, the study part of it is... The little book that I wrote, you know, that little Life with Trumpet book, it's going to be published soon, actually. Nice. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to start a scholarship fund with it. And I'm going to try to get other people to, like, make some MP3s <laughs> and put them on there and sell them for 99 cents and mm -hmm. put that in a scholarship fund. And mm -hmm. the only money that would be used other than the scholarship would be to make the website work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and uh, so... But you know, I, I think I think that's you know what where where it's at. I mean, we're we're trying to get better. Mm -hmm. You've got to retain all the information as much of it as you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, Gabriel, my son, you know, he's teaching at East Carolina University now, and he has notebooks and notebooks full of notes from master classes that he's been to. Mm -hmm. Not not mine. He's been he takes them at mine. I, I you know I don't know about that, <laughs> but but. Uh, he takes notes on it, all the master classes he's ever been at. He has piles of them. Mm -hmm. And he looks back on them. You know, Dad, I was looking back on this, and I'm going, boy, Gabriel, you're a lot more well put together than your dad. <laughs> and he cares so much about his students. You mm -hmm. know, he's always seeking. He has, that, that's, I think I'm really excited about that. I mean, if I there's any... That. <laughs> if there's any anything that I'm excited about, it's, it's about what he and his colleagues of his era are doing. Mm. They have, like I say, they have this access to information, uh, uh, speed of movement, uh, all kinds of things that we never had back in the day. Well, one of the things that you say that, one of the things I like is this, nobody's afraid to create a new ensemble, an eclectic oh, yeah. uh, and instrumental collection you know bassoon and trumpet I and mean, i don't know if that exists and maybe i, I recall i played a piece for bassoon and trumpet but you know besides but, him but maybe bassoon and trumpet playing led zeppelin oh yeah you know, and and it's just we don't have to stick to what was yeah which is still fantastic look at phil snedeker's uh the washington symphonic mm, brass right, right. they do everything from you know that rock tunes to mm -hmm. renaissance mm -hmm. and and uh they're very successful and a wonderful group and Phil, of course, is teaching at uh, Hart now in Connecticut, and I know he's doing a great job. Look at all his books mm -hmm. and stuff he's done. Just keep, you know, for me, I'm sort of keeping touch with what's going on, but I'm feeling more and more overwhelmed all the time by the, the sheer amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm still hearing some of the latest pieces and things, but it's, like I said, it's, it's just challenging to keep up. Yeah. 
And but you know what? I'm uh, one of my things now. I'm doing is I'm starting to. Uh, I don't want to say champion, but I'm starting to bring pieces to light that maybe are going out of literature and still need to stay in there. I just had. Uh, we just did a band arrangement of. Uh, I can't find it now. It's uh, Goyen's uh, Fantasy Dramatique. Mm. Uh, did an arrangement for band. Uh, it's a it's a moderately difficult piece for trumpet and band, mm -hmm. and so that people have some things that they can play because mm -hmm. you know we don't get to play with an orchestra that much, right? And and some pieces for trumpet and piano, and uh, bring finding things. I've been going on the backs of old music. Yeah, you know I have tons of old music. Mm -hmm. I go on the back and. Uh, I look at the pieces, but I... Oh, they're right. You used to publish their catalogs. On the back of the... You'd see all the pieces. I'm going, well, out of these 20 pieces, I know two. Mm -hmm. So you have 18 pieces to find, Vince, and see if they're any good. If you can find half of them, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. You can look at those, and if half of those are any good, you know, and I keep them. I've got files and files of PDFs that I've made from PD Music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm sort of trying to get people to play. I send them to people and uh, encourage them. I make recordings of them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start uh, making recordings. Uh, again, Gable and I are doing a piece. Uh, it's called Like Father, Like Son. This spring, we're, we're Alvazuda, you wrote it for us. And uh, we're going to record that. I'm going to record uh, Wounded Warrior by Bob Boguslaw, mm -hmm. which was written for me a couple of years ago. And I, I played it with uh, Doug Burian, who's a chief executive officer now of the Marine Band. He just was promoted. He was a student at U UK as well as Center College. And uh, and Rex played it with me at his school, and mm -hmm. we're gonna, Gabriel and I are gonna do it. And, uh, and we're gonna do a, actually a father-son record. That's and, cool. And we're getting these two trumpet pieces together mm -hmm. because it has a dual purpose to actually promote some of the works. Mm -hmm. Somebody hears those works, they go, wow, I didn't know that piece. I'm see. I'm gonna call Vince and see if I can get a copy of that. I'll call Gabriel, see what he's got. You know, <laughs> that's a cool thing about having a son. That once again, planning for the future. Mm -hmm. I'm actually excited about uh, his future, mm -hmm. and uh, not me not being here, and, and you know, I'll probably at least no less than. Oh, well, hopefully, a, no less than a number on it. Yeah, no, put a number <laughs> on it. Yeah, kiss of death, but, but so to speak. Um, but preparing, Gabriel is going to, you know, have all this, mm -hmm. and he's very interested in historic instruments, and he's very interested in teaching, mm -hmm. and very interested in performing at the highest level. So, I mean, it's really exciting for me. You have a terrific legacy there. Well, I get to prepare. Even, even if it was just Gabriel. Yeah. What a great legacy. Well, you know, he's his own person. Uh, I can honestly say that I've never taught him a lesson except that you don't put the mouthpiece in your mouth, you put it on your lips. That was the only lesson I ever taught him. And when he asks a question occasionally, uh, I'll respond. Mm -hmm. But he studied with all my students, like Al Hood and, you know, uh, Doug Burian and John Altman and Mark Wood and uh, scores of others. I mean, I couldn't even, I, I'm, miss, I'm missing people. Sure. But he would always, you know, just Paul Klontz helped him. I mean, there's just so many people, you know, that have taken the time to spend time with Gabriel. John Hagstrom, of course, was his primary teacher. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, that's and Rich Dotzel at, at uh, Interlochen. Mm-hmm. So he studied with some really great people, and uh, I get to hear what he's doing. Vince, I'm again. Yep. We could go on forever, and maybe we'll have to make another appointment. Oh to yeah, come back and just pick up. Force me into it, and go into you know make make this in every about literature. Year. We can do a literature thing. We could we could do anything. Yeah, um, but I just want to say how grateful I am uh, to yeah. to have had the opportunity to study with you well, and to continue this friendship over all these many years. Well, it's great to come and see what you're doing at uh, University of Indianapolis. The music program is growing there at an unbelievable rate, and uh, you have more trumpet students than I would have believed that you have there. <laughs> and uh, it's great to see that and the, the other programs, and I'm looking forward to November. And uh, when we come there and do Sound of Trumpets with John Foster from Australia, we hope everybody in the general vicinity there will come on over and check it out. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to have a good time. Great. So thanks again. Thank you, Larry. Until next time. Always. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.